This is Bumping Into, where we have interesting conversations with people from all walks of life. Hi everybody, welcome to another episode of Bumping Into. I am your host, Francis Populin. First of all, I would like to thank everyone for such an overwhelming response to the um, Bumping Into the Unknown Dangers of 5G episode that we posted last month. It was an incredible episode. It generated uh, streams and interest and emails and responses from all over the world. It was, it was probably our highest, um, highest response episode that we've done to date. Um, it was incredible. From, from the minute that it posted, it was, um, it was just streaming and I was receiving a lot of information and emails, which, which was great. And and, uh, you know, I genuinely appreciate the interest and in people taking the time to, to listen because you are spoiled for choice at the moment. So I definitely appreciate that. And taking the time to uh, provide a lot more information and various links. And um, I mean, it was just a flooding through of information that I did receive as a result of that episode, which has led me to this episode. Um, so one of the people that I managed to bump into is, um, is Victor Leach. Now, Victor has worked as a radiation health physicist for over half a century in both the private sector and public sector with several Commonwealth and state government departments. Victor was a foundation member of the Australasian Radiation Protection Society in 1975. Since taking up that role, he, uh, he then became the university radiation safety advisor at QUT in 2006 um, and has become increasingly interested in the standard setting of non-ionizing radiation used by the communication industry uh, compared to the setting of ionizing, which is X-ray radiation standards. Um, he's now published uh, several articles in national and international scientific journals uh, around the inadequacies of the current guidelines. He's an advocate um, for the precautionary principle to be applied and more detailed consumer warnings on mobile phones and Wi-Fi. Uh, Victor has, is also one of the founding members of the Oceana Radio Frequency Scientific Advisory Association, Incorporated. A lot of information and a lot of words there, but the reality is Victor is a specialist um, in radiation and he has extreme concerns over the standards. I think it's worth clearly pointing out uh, also that everything in these episodes um, are clearly just the personal opinion of the guests. Um, you know, this is a, a natural conversation recorded with people that are typically experts in their field and presenting their personal opinions. There's certainly nothing derogatory intended uh, or any malice intended towards particular companies or individuals. And in today's hypersensitive world, it's unfortunate, but I do think we have to make that quite clear. Uh, this episode, if you're listening to this without having heard the first one, that's perfect because this one lays the groundwork and the foundation that is going to make any others that come much more easy to understand. Uh, th this was is a fantastic episode for bringing it all back to basics and understanding how these uh, current guidelines are set. What When people tell you that they're safe, this talks about what those tests were, how they were done, and when they were done. And you can bring that into today's product and marketplace and decide for yourself if you feel that that's adequate. 
the first episode I did is probably more suited to coming in after this one. So it's great if you haven't listened to the other one with Professor Darius Lazensky because this is going to be the one that will lay the perfect foundation for you to go deeper. Now, Victor is a specialist in radiation and, as mentioned, he's got grave concerns over what tests were done and how long ago they were done that is deeming the phone that you're putting up to your head today as being safe. We still leave a bit uh, that I wanted to go into unexplored, I guess you could say. Um, I've still got an interest in going into uh, the biological effects and if there are any supplements and measures you can take at that level um, that can reduce it. The big thing to understand is that there are concerns, that the scientific world is split. You know, when you've got that happening, you have to pull back and err on the side of caution, I believe. So there are concerns. And the thing is, we can't opt out. So it's not like uh, when the WHO declare a certain food as a possible carcinogenic, you can opt out of eating that food. You have a choice. We don't have a choice. We are being bombarded with Wi-Fi. It's in our schools. It's in our offices. It's in our homes. Everyone has a mobile phone. It's being used at a higher hourly rate more than ever, which we go into in this episode when those standards were set, what the time limits were, um, which I think you'll find quite amusing and compared to today's current time standards. That's, that's what I think is the big picture is you can't opt out of this. You can't opt out of exposure. When you can't opt out of something, you should be given a far more detailed and methodical process to prove its safety and err on the side of caution. Make your own mind up at the end to see if you think that's happening. That's where this episode goes. I've been approached by other people as well to do other podcasts on various sectors around certain aspects of of, uh, this issue and concern. So this isn't probably going to be the last one that we bring to you on the whole EMF subject, hopefully. But this is a great one to get your head started. So let's head straight into the conversation that I had recorded with Victor And please do stick around to after the conversation's finished because I am going to mention a few links um, and I'm going to post a whole bunch of stuff on the page, various links, various reports. Uh, There'll be a lot there for anyone that wants to go deeper, look a bit more into it and make their own mind up. And I will catch you on the other side. Well, Vic, thank you very much for agreeing to come on to the podcast show. I really appreciate your time and um, and hopefully we're going to touch on a lot of broad-based information and bring this next part two, I guess you could say, to the first um, podcast that generated a lot of interest around the world. Um, so let's get started with telling me about your professional background and then how that led into the interest you have into the mobile phone safety concerns and industry. Yeah, well, um, so thanks, Francis, for inviting me along to talk talk about this area. I think it's very important. Um, my my background is like a lot of my colleagues in radiation protection, really in the ionising radiation space. That is X rays and gamma rays. We don't have many many jobs in this area of non-ionising radiation. Now, let me try and explain this a little bit. Ionising radiation is X rays and gamma rays. And non-ionising radiation is um, basically wireless communication, uh, UV. And um, the the standards were set on the basis of heating uh, for this uh, wireless radiation. The standards are actually set on the basis of heating. Towards the end of my career, and I've had over half a century working in radiation protection, I took a job at the Queensland University of Technology as the radiation protection advisor. What happened was... 
a lady came into my office, a young, young lady. She was probably in her mid twenties. She was doing a degree and she said, you're the radiation protection advisor. Can you explain to me, is it possible the tumor I've had removed from my breast as a result of me storing my mobile phone in my bra? And I said, oh, look, you know, I don't really know. This is sort of new ground for me. And I'm going back, this is like 2011, 2012. And then I contacted um, one of my colleagues in radiation protection who works in this non-ionizing radiation area. And I said, look, can you uh, shed some light on this? And he said, oh, we young women get breast cancer for all sorts of reasons. And at the same time, there was actually um, a group in America, uh, these were um, breast cancer surgeons, who had noticed the same thing. They'd noticed uh, a lot of women, young women, and they didn't have the BRCA gene, that is the gene for um, breast cancer. They said, oh, this is a bit concerning. These young women have actually presented. In some cases, we've had to do a radical mastectomy uh, because the, the cancer was actually quite interesting. It, it had a different shape to the normal cancers that we see in young women. And these were women in their mid-20s. And um, the practice of these women was to put the mobile phone in their bra. So uh, I got back to him about this. He just dismissed it, but it sort of got my interest. Shortly after that, I had a phone call from a research librarian um, in the li- on the top floor of the um, library. And she contacted me and she said, oh, look, I'm really concerned. You know, Telstra are rolling out these mobile phone panels on the roof. Um, can you come over here and have a look and do some measurements and tell me it's safe? And I went over there and I said, I don't have the equipment, but I'll, I can get the equipment to monitor in this area. You know, tell me a little bit about why you're so worried. And she said, well, I've had a, a vagal tweoma, that is a, a vagus nerve tumor removed. And she said, she said, I'm just really worried about it. And I said, well, look, I'll order the spectrum analyzer and the equipment and I'll start doing measurements in this area. So I started doing that. And then I realized that the the measurements were actually a lot higher than what I thought they would be. And when I looked out the window, I suddenly realized that there were mobile phone panels on all the various uh, buildings around. Uh, so she wasn't being exposed from the mobile phones on the top of her building. It was coming from out through the window, through outside. So anyway, that was a bit of, bit of a shock to me. Towards the end of my career, I was... Um, I went to uh, University of Queensland to help commission a cyclotron over there. While I was over there, I also had people who approached me and said, look, we're a bit worried about this radiation. I actually feel this radiation. Can you do some measurements in this area? And I said, yeah, okay. And so I did. I got equipment again and uh, started to measure in this area. What you've got to realise is that because of X-rays and gamma rays, they can dislodge electrons from the outer shells of atoms more or less is a fast burn whereas um, uv radiation is a is a slower burn it, it over a longer period of time so i um i thought this non-ionizing radiation really intrigued me so i started looking at the standards and i realized the standards were actually based on heating in other words the only thing that was considered to be a health effect was the fact that the tissue got heated. When I started looking at it, I realized that 
hey, there was a whole lot of biological effects that occur at much, much lower levels, which are called non-thermal effects. In this area, the, the guidelines that are written by various groups around the world, the philosophies like for X-rays and gamma rays, the International Commission on Radiation, Radiation Protection uh, sent out guidelines for X-rays and gamma rays, and um, they also risk manage the low dose. They, they have this risk management approach, low dose. And then I started looking at the International Commission on Non-Ionising Radiation Protection, and I suddenly realised that they actually don't risk manage anything. They only look at the heating. They don't look at these non-thermal effects. They, they completely ignore them as being having any health effect. I was a bit sort of concerned about this, but they did have a statement in there. They, they, they said, oh, people are being um, protected. However, not, not all children and the elderly and some chronically ill are being protected. Um, so they had a statement in there, which interesting because they've actually removed that statement from the latest uh, revision of their standard. So this group, the International Commission on Non-Ionizing Radiation Protection, I started looking at, at the composition of this group and I realised that most of the people on this group were engineers and physicists. There was very little input from clinicians, whereas the other group, which manage X-rays and gamma rays, the International Commission on Radio Radiological Protection, when I looked at that group, uh, which was formed back in 1928, it was radiologists and uh, radiographers and oncologists. They were they were heavily involved in setting up the philosophies around managing X-rays and gamma rays. There was a sort of completely different type of philosophy. That actually got me very, very interested in, in that. As I said, the people who write guidelines for X-rays and gamma rays, when it comes to low dose, they have what is called the precautionary approach. They use as low as reasonably achievable. Right? Whereas all that was completely absent from the group that is writing guidelines for this wireless radiation, the International Commission on Non-Ionising Radiation Protection, ICNIRC, ICNIRC uh, in short, didn't have a precautionary approach. They didn't apply it. And in fact, um, I wrote to the minister here in Australia and uh, he said, oh, we, we, we don't discern the precautionary approach because uh, that will put a, a burden on industry. So I thought it was an interesting reply. Waiting for established evidence of harm is not a recognised risk management approach. So that these guidelines, which were written by ICNERP, are picked up by PANSA, the Australian, Australian agency in this area. And then I looked at a PANSA, and I suddenly discovered they weren't actually the regulator. The, the regulator was the Australian Communications Media Authority. Yeah. And I got very concerned about that because... They also collect uh, income for selling the spectrum. We all benefit from that. They, But they selected the APANSA standard as their standard. And I thought, well, hang on, wait a minute. That's the, that's the least protective standard. It's basically based on heating. It's not based on, there's no risk management approach in there. All these non-thermal effects are actually being ignored. 
I thought I've got to look into this a lot deeper. You've got to go back to the the beginnings of mobile phone. The European Union decided, and you've got to remember this, that Nokia in Finland and Ericsson in Sweden, this technology rolled out first in the Scandinavian countries. Oh, okay. So the EU, they said we should do some testing to show that this is perfectly safe. So they commissioned a, a $3.1 million uh, in vitro study, 12 research groups in seven European countries. And in fact, um, Darius Levinsky, who you had on the show just recently, he, he was actually in one of these research labs. And um, they said, oh, look, the, the, this exposure is going to be very low. It's low dose. It's not really going to damage DNA. It can't do that. Um, there's not enough energy to knock electrons off uh, atoms. Uh, you know, we, we're not these experiments. You know, we're not going to find anything. Uh, so they they did the experiments, and to their surprise, they actually did see DNA damage. And they they thought, how could this be? It's not enough energy, but it was doing it through another mechanism, and it was through the mechanism of production of reactive oxygen species. So I'll I'll try to explain that a little bit. What happens is um, you breathe in oxygen. uh, Your cells do the same thing. They burn burn glucose. And uh, as a result of that process, they they also produce what are called, it's like um, a rubbish that your cells have to deal with, these reactive oxygen species, and your body has to remove that. So the production of these reactive oxygen species actually uh, will interact with the proteins and that and, and cause DNA damage. So that was that was a, a real epiphany to them. And then um, I started looking into it a little bit deeper. This was two thousand and four. They said, "Oh, they've, they've done their experiments wrong." You know, there's twelve research groups and they've all done them wrong. Uh, <laughs> and so the the industry attacked. Uh, Professor uh, Franz Adlikofler, who who was the research leader in this area, they said, oh, you know, you fudged the results. And of course, that wasn't the case at all. So the the attack was became very personal and it went on for a number of years. And in fact, um, one of the attackers was a scientist, biological scientist called uh, Lurchell. And he attacked France, uh, very maliciously attacked him. It's interesting that he, he now talks about it being this radiation as being a, a tumour promoter. And also there was court case over the, the attack on him. Uh, he's now passed away. So that was 2000, 2004 that they found out this and they sort of mentioned it to groups like uh, ICNERP and said, look, we should be taking this into consideration in setting your standards. But no, they completely ignored it. Yeah, at about the same time, they actually said, we'll do an epidemiological study. We'll do a disease study. It was called the Interphone Study. And uh, came to the conclusion that there wasn't any link between uh, the brain cancer patients and the use of mobile phones. Now, you've got to remember that back in 2000, 2004, most mobile phones were being used by business people. You know, they, they were quite expensive. They, when they looked at the, did the study and the assessment, they were talking about people who used a mobile phone for once a week. They were very low usage rates. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it, the, these, um, it was really quite, quite, quite a different era, mm. uh, in mobile phone use. Um, but when they looked at the heavy user group, 
that this was the group who used mobile phones up to their head for more than 30 minutes a day, they actually they started to see risk factors appearing uh, at the five-year user mark and particularly at the 10-year user mark. So they, they said, look, this is not conclusive evidence, but we're, we're a bit concerned about the fact that we're seeing these risk factors appear. Just after that, the French also did a case control study in 2004-2006, CERNET, and they came to the same conclusion. That casual users, it wasn't a problem. You didn't see uh, the risk factors. But when you actually got to, they came up with 54 minutes a day. People who were using mobile phones up to their head for more than 54 minutes a day, the risk factors started to appear. And, the, and they looked at the various occupational groups which was quite interesting. The response to that was the telcos said these studies are flawed. Uh, You're asking these people how long they used a mobile phone a day. People don't recall that very much. You didn't link it up what the operators say the uses patterns were. A new study was uh, undertaken called the CMOS study. Then what they found was that, in fact, people did actually recall uh, usage was very close to the actual telcos reported uses figures. But the unwanted effect that they discovered, 14% of the people who said, look, I get a hot ear, I get a headache, uh, there was these reported health effects uh, that was actually something that was not predicted as a result of um, mobile phone usage. So um, the CMOS study, in, in a way, highlighted we shouldn't be focusing completely on brain tumours, uh, be it gliomas and megalogliomas and acoustic neomas and these, these sort of rare nerve tumours. Well, we shouldn't be focusing on that. Maybe we should also be focusing on on the health effects, that is headaches, etc. The interesting thing then was the, the US National Toxicology Group asked the National Institute for Health to perform animal studies. Now, this was back in 1999. That study really didn't get underway until 2015, those animal studies. You know, we, we use animals uh, for drug testing. Uh, mm. we, we test for carcinogenic agents. Uh, you know, this, this is a standard procedure. But it took a long time before these, before these studies got underway. And uh, was concluded in 2018, just, just five years ago. The fact is, those studies showed in the male rats, particularly, they because these were whole body exposures, and the exposures weren't at the ICNERP limit, weren't at the heating limit. They were actually at a limit much, much lower than that. So they were looking at what they call non-thermal effects. They were looking at much lower levels of exposure, looking for these biological effects which would result in cancer in the animals. And they had clear evidence that these cancers in the hearts of the rats were the sweoma cancers, which were, were tumours which were formed by the outer lining of the nerve sheathing, they, there was some evidence of uh, what they call hydroplasia. In other words, the uh, cells changing in the brains of these animals. So it wasn't no evidence. It just wasn't clear evidence. It was some evidence. In the mice experiments, they saw what they call equivocal evidence. 
And uh, equivocal evidence is marginally increase in the tumours that may be result related to the agent. The evidence wasn't so clear, but it wasn't dismissed. It wasn't clear evidence. It was what was called equivocal evidence. And the hydroplasias, uh, the, the changing of the cells, is the first stage is a precancerous phase. And so they saw these in this animal animals. Now, these were exposures below the ICNERP limit, and they were exposures over a two-year period. The interesting thing about this was this is what's called a near-field study. In other words, this is where you actually have, this is the mobile phone up to the head or on okay. the body. This is what's called a near-field study. Other group in, in Italy, the Ramzini Institute, which is a very prestigious institute, they did what's called the far field study. These are at much, much lower levels. Uh, and these are the sorts of exposures you would get if you were living near a mobile phone tower. They did the same uh, study, these looking at these non-thermal effects over long periods of time in these animals. And they came to the same conclusion. They saw these heart sweomas in the hearts of these rats, because you've got to remember, these these are whole body exposures. You can't give a mobile phone to a rat and hold it up to his yeah, head. Yeah. You know? So the Ramsey Institute did a, what's called a far field study at much, much lower levels, and they came to the same conclusion. So this is actually, um, to me, this is an alarm bell. Definitely. So this, we're getting these red flags appearing with less yeah. exposure than the typical human would have. Yeah, spot on. And uh, and there's also, you might not be aware, but to um, workers in uh, occupational exposure to mobile phones in uh, the north of Italy, a place called Turin, there's been a court case there because these um, heart sweomas that we saw in rats become acoustic neomas, vestibular sweomas. These tumours appear behind the ear uh, in human beings. So the, the, all of a sudden... We're starting to link yeah. the, these uh, these tumours, which are coming from the metastasization of the nurse sheathing. We're starting to link that now with uh, these animal experiments. This is um, this is very concerning. Well, that's interesting that that because I've I've looked into that that um, Italian court case, yeah. and so that was in 2020. That they basically said that prolonged use of mobile phones can cause tumours. There's been six cases that now have all come to the same conclusion that 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 is a that is a definite line of of cause and effect there that can happen. The mm-hmm. Ita- the Italian judge said roughly to quote what he was saying, or not to quote exactly what he was saying, that studies provided by the defence which denied a link were mostly industry funded and should be given less weight. Which that you know in real world sounds perfectly practical and common sense, Rich. However, the Italian Minister for Health went on to say, well, I respect the court's sentences, but um, I still believe and support the WHO that there is no proof in a link. Yeah. Well, the, the WHO, uh, the WHO group, the EMF group, is an extension really of this group called ICNERP, the International Commission on Non-Ionising Radiation Protection, and they're a club of thermal scientists. So their their um, their view is is very biased. They they don't believe in any of these non thermal effects. They don't result. 
they don't believe that the, these can cause any health effects. So even when those, those studies with the rats are being presented and they're saying, yeah. look, this isn't once, twice, this is what we're seeing with less levels than the humans are, are being exposed to, mm. is it just the fingers in the ears and look the other way? Is that, is that the simplest mm. way to explain what's happening? Well, um, the, the, the scary thing about that is that they came out and said, oh, yeah, okay, we've seen the uh, National Toxicology Program study, basically industry's voice in this. They've got it all wrong. They've made a mistake. You know, a $30 million study <laughs> done over five years. Oh, they made a mistake. They made a mistake. Don't worry it's, about it's it. It's the same old story with the um, early studies that were done by uh, scientists in, in Europe. Another thing the, I wanted to quiz you on in that that space is yeah. a study that I found or a news article that I found, and it was very vague, but basically it was it was around the FCC, which is the American Communications Commission, isn't it? Yeah, um, they're the same as the Australian Communications Media Authority. Right. So in 2019, they released a statement that said, we will look at the exposure limits for mobile, well, they call it cell phone, mobile yeah. phone limits set in the 1990s. Now, for one, that implies that the limits that they are using in 2020 plus is yep. based on the limits that were tested in 1990. Uh, worlds apart in mobile phone use and exposure of the real world. So yep. that's one thing that's concerning. The second thing that really concerned me, um, and I've heard this once before, but uh, and this sort of just really drove it home, is that those limits that were set in the 1990s were based on behavioural changes in rats. Yes. So it, this a- is what blows me away, yeah. is they went to say words of the effect of, Perhaps we should be looking at biological effects and not mm. so much behavioural ones. So this basically means that that those standards were set um, based on a cage, the behavioural changes of a cage of rats in the 1990s. Yep. yep. That's that's that could have been done in a pet shop. Yep. That's exactly right. And, and- people would be blanketly trusting that this has been some high-end, specific, detailed research that has been meticulously done and experts yep. after experts have cross-checked. And yep. and therefore, it must be okay because at the end of the day, I've got an organisation such as The Who saying, well, there's no link, there's nothing to see, we have no proof. And it's like, well, you won't have proof because you're watching the behaviour of a rat in a cage. Yeah, well, the... The scary thing about this for me is that I was um, going back to when I first started looking at this. I I actually trusted my colleagues uh, in working in this space. I actually thought, you know, you, you, these guidelines were actually uh, done by people like who had radiation protection philosophy, yeah, like yeah. myself. One hundred percent. Everyone I would felt, assume that. I felt betrayed. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless you scratch away at the surface, this is alarming. And it's amazing to think that if you wanted to release, if Kmart want to release a product to the market, they've got to do a lot of tests to ensure that it's safe and it doesn't break. And if this happens and if that happens and there's safety data sheets, and here we've got this billion-dollar industry, this highly technologically advanced industry that's that that in 1990 – they watched a bunch of rats in a cage that said, well, look, they didn't change. Mm-hmm. So therefore the exposure limits are this and, uh, and good luck. And 
we might review it in 30, 40 years. Yeah, there's a scary thing in Australia. As I said, the Australian Communications Media Authority selected the APANSA standard. Now, um, you've got to remember that APANSA is actually a Commonwealth regulator. Um, they regulate departments like the Health Department, uh, the Defence Department. So they, the health department, the animal health laboratory down in Geelong, you know, they do fairly risky research. So they've got to have a standard that has maximum room to move. So standard is not, is not applicable to, uh, 24 seven exposure of human beings. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. just not applicable. You've got to have, uh, big risk factors in there, uh, to uh, dilute the actual, uh, levels. Uh, I, I, look, it, it became a, a real shock to me. And as I said, you know, it, I, when I go to the Australian Radiation Protection Society conferences and I present papers on this, they, um, a lot of the, my colleagues come up to me afterwards and say, look, I, I haven't really looked at this, but hey, this is a bit concerning. <laughs> you know, like yeah. they, they're, they're a bit flawed as well because they're not working in this space. They yeah. haven't looked at, this in detail they're they're working with x-rays and gamma rays they're working in a hospital you know they're they're doing therapy work on on people with with tumors in their lungs or the jobs in this area are very few and in fact um the only telcos going back in the 1980s uh the telcos employed um uh, telstra employed a, a occupational health physician in this space and uh then they had a physicist working they had a small section uh in in melbourne uh looking at, at the effects of uh wireless radiation uh, and um they um they didn't like the answers they were getting from uh the the doctor the medical person they they disbanded that so it it's actually very very concerning that the um, uh, a lot of the research that we've been yeah. doing in Australia as uh, by Wollongong University, in particular health, uh, Rodney Croft, who's, who was the, who started the research are these provocation studies. We've spent millions and millions of dollars on provocation studies where people get put in a, put in a room. They either have a EEG, you know, they measure brainwave patterns or they measure yeah. um, heart, heart rate, ECG. They, um, they get put in a room they switch on the antenna and they say, do you feel it? These, I know, these it's sort incredible. Of, yeah, these are sort of crappy studies. Yeah. Uh, but we've spent, we've spent uh, down in South Australia, uh, a researcher down there was, was uh, commissioned to do some animal studies. And at the end of, at the, end of the research, uh, she said, oh, look, um, this is very interesting. We've actually seen these, these uh, biological effects. Um, look, um, I'd like to... Uh, the you know extend the study uh, because it was being funded by the National Health and Medical Research Council. I'd like to extend this study, and they said, "No, no, there's no more uh, funding for you." That sort of behaviour is unbelievable. I watched a show on the ABC with Dr. Carl, and Dr. Carl said, "Oh, you know, it's all it's all low power. You know, look, it's it's, it's nothing like the sun." You know, the sun, the power density associated with comes to Earth is a thousand times greater. And that's true. But what he, what he didn't say was this is highly, totally polarized radiation. It's very different 
from what comes from outer space. In fact, um, the, the sunlight, when it falls to Earth, falls to Earth with lots of different colours, and it's unpolarised. It's not polarised. It doesn't, it doesn't add up. And so when it, when it falls to Earth and reflects off a surface like glass or the water, you have to put glasses on, don't you? Mm. Because it's now become partially polarised and it stings your eyes. So you put on polarised glasses. Right. Now, that, what we're doing in this space, when we do that, when we take, say, a single frequency and we polarise it, we've now made a different sort of light. That light we call laser light. Okay. And this is what we're doing in this space, in this RF space. We're producing these highly polarised signals which can constructively and destructively interfere with one another. So you left that message out or we didn't understand it. I don't know. But, I, you know, I like Dr. Carl, but he, but he, he hasn't presented the true picture. And I don't think he's looked, he's really looked at the science as well. But the interesting thing about that at the end of the talk, he says, Oh, we should all go and drink green tea. Now, why do you drink green, green tea? Because green tea is an, a strong antioxidant. It helps get rid of these reactive oxygen species that our body produces. So why did he say that at the end of the talk? So he really did know that this was having a biological effect and he was telling you to drink green tea because that was an antioxidant which helped get rid of the reactive oxygen species from our body, was assisting our cells. And it's, and, it's uh, worrying because a lot of people uh, blanket trust, you know, national yeah. broadcaster, a famous well, identity, I, soft-natured, nice guy. He seems intelligent. He said it must be fine. I've heard what I wanted to hear, so I'll keep doing what I want to do. I've got a friend of mine who, yeah. um, quite an intelligent guy, but very much subscribes to the official government narrative. And if Dr. Carl said it on the public broadcaster, then mm. it must be true. Why is everyone so worried? It's interesting because on the other side of the spectrum, you've got uh, when the Catalyst program got into strife, they were labelled mm. as being too one-sided to the possible risk. Yeah. So let's fire the staff, cast and crew, get rid of them. Yeah. Dr. Carl can say that everything's good and rosy and not even have a percentage of doubt left in someone's mind that maybe we should be looking. Yeah, that um, that philosophy uh, isn't part of our radiation protection philosophy. You know, where where we have where we have uh, plausible risk. Got a, like a lot of my colleagues in this area in radiation protection haven't done, haven't really looked at this area in great detail. They're, they're just they're taking uh, the guidelines which are being presented by this group in Germany, ICNERP. They're taking those guidelines as being gospel. They they they're not they haven't looked into it. and um and as I said when I when I present this at conferences, uh, a lot of my colleagues come up afterwards and you know I've I've been there since 1975. You know I was in a, a Australian Radiation Protection Society. I've been in a, an inaugural, was an inaugural member of that society and, and a lot of people know me and they come up afterwards and say, Vic, what's going on? And, and I said, well, yeah, it, you know, we all love this technology. It's very convenient and everything mm, else, super convenient. but it, but it's not a free ticket. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, you know, and I'm pro nuclear. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm all for nuclear power. Uh, you know, I think if we'd gone nuclear power in the 1980s, we probably wouldn't have been talking about, um, uh, 
global warming, I think uh, it'd be less of an issue. Um, and uh, coal-fired power stations are, are bad news. And I've, I've worked for coal power, coal-fired power stations in places like Thailand and see, see the damage they can do uh, mm-hmm. environmentally. Um, but I'd just like to say, you know, that when they quote the WHO, the WHO, they're, quote, they're quoting this group, the EMF project group, which is basically an extension of the ICNERP group, the group in um, Germany. The interesting thing is the, there's another group in the WHO, the International Agency of Research into Cancer, IARC, um, they reviewed uh, the uh, the evidence to, of carcinogenity of um, on humans. They looked at uh, the evidence back in 2011 and came to the conclusion was that uh, this is a, a possible carcinogen. They didn't say there's a group 2A. They've got group 1, which is carcinogenic, group two, 2A, which is a probable carcinogen, and group 2B is a possible carcinogen. Now, they said at the time that the reason they put it in that category was the fact that they didn't have the long-term animal experiments. They weren't available. Uh, and so they they put it in that category. They, uh, it's, it's now 2023, 2011 that was. We've got a lot more evidence. We've got the long-term animal experiments, uh, the NTP study and the Ranzemi Institute study, but we've got a lot more evidence. Uh, that haven't the, been built into that decision. No. And That's right, so what yeah. they, they've got a review. It's coming up for review, right. uh, the electromagnetic. RF frequencies are coming up for review in, in they, um, cause COVID delayed everything. Um, and, but they're, they're hoping that they'll be able to review it in the next year or so. And, um, there's a, a frantic movement at the moment by, um, industry. Their latest ploy is to say, well, a lot of these experiments are actually, uh, that have been performed are poor quality. And you would think that the national toxicology program, the $30 million animal study done by the National Institute of Health, you would think that would be in the highest class of quality experiments. Yeah. And yeah. also the Ranzemian. Now, th- th- this group that we formed is the Oceana Radio Frequency Advisory Association. We, we've, um, we're just looking at the evidence. Nobody, we've got no funding from industry. Uh, we, we're assisting research in, in other countries. Um, you know, it, it's, but we're trying to, we're trying to be fair minded about this. And uh, it's, it's very concerning. And, uh, in the Darius, I thought Darius's interview was very good. In fact, I, I put a comment on his uh, blog saying, you know, it was a very good, uh, very good uh, interview that you did with him. And, uh, uh, but he, he sort of mentioned that, um, that the brain cancer wasn't really increasing. Yeah, which which surprised me that comment that he made. Yeah, 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 and and it's actually it's actually a true comment, but the devil is in the detail. Uh, so you've got some brain cancers which are on the increase, and you've got other brain cancers which uh, people are surviving from, which is on the decrease. So it looks like a flat curve or a fairly fairly flat curve. Yep. But when you tease out these uh, glomerulus blastoma 
brain cancers, you actually see it is on the increase. And um, you also... And of the worst kind, isn't it? That's the the worst type is increasing. Well, you know, if you get a a glioma or a glioma-blastoma multiform, you're probably only going to live for about 18 months if you're lucky. Mm. Um, The minute, the minute, it's just sort of like, uh, it's, it's a death sentence. And both Denmark and England, when you look at that particular cancer, has been on the increase. Now, we, I didn't see any data on, um, the, those acoustic neomas, the, those benign tumors. So I haven't really looked at the data on that, but they also in America, they've seen, uh, those particular, uh, can- cancers sort of increase. And the concerning thing is that brain cancer now is, is rivaled by childhood leukemia in terms of deaths in, in children. It's yeah, actually it's terrible increasing and that uh it used to be just childhood leukemia but you know they they've got quite good survival rates for that but these brain cancers amongst kids uh there's the survival rate is very poor and so the deaths now you're seeing from childhood leukemia and uh the deaths you're seeing from brain cancers these uh gbms uh, in children are now on a par uh so you you've got you've got to ask the question uh, you know, what's changed? Well, um, that, that that I was going to raise because there's a lot around Wi-Fi uh, in school rooms, in classrooms, which is, it's rampant. I mean, the rooms are beaming, they're humming. School yep. school blocks are humming with Wi-Fi. Um, and the argument is that children are far more susceptible to the effects of it, you know, thinner bones mm-hmm. and all the rest of it, um, which makes perfect sense. Now, there's mm-hmm. an English physicist uh, you may be aware of. Is it Barry uh, Trow- Trower? China, China. Trow- yeah, he's an ex-military guy. Yes, yes. So he's a microwave weapons expert. Yeah. And he's made the comment, I'm sure you've probably seen, he's, he's quite brutal in his comments. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he made a comment that said, the people that authorize the use of Wi-Fi in schools should be locked up. He's claiming that the radiation is 10 times more dangerous to young females than of any other part of the body. Mm. Um, he's saying that it's, mm. it's damaging the ovaries and the effects will, will take place over the next 30 years. We're going to see generational impacts mm. as that child has another child and, and so on due yeah. to the Wi-Fi in these classrooms. I mean, that's a bold, harsh statement from someone. Yeah. I don't, I don't sort of particularly subscribe to a lot of the things that he says. Um, I think um, they, they banned uh, Wi-Fi in kindergartens in France, and they've okay. also done that in in, uh, in Cyprus as well. Wow, so okay. there is a move to, to um, banning Wi-Fi earlier ages. I, I just want to say something else too. Uh, we did an Australian study, um, a Panzer did an Australian study, uh, looking at an ecological study, looking at brain cancer, and they they showed a, a small increase. They actually left out the over sixties group. They didn't do the over sixties group, uh, which is my group, um, and and they didn't do the under twenties group. They did you know twenties to fifty nine, and um, so they they showed a very small increase in that group. Of course, if they would have done my group or the children's group i think they would have seen increases but anyway they um they said uh that the reason the increase they saw the small increase was because of better detection techniques 
Now, that doesn't make any sense. Basically, when you detect these types of brain cancers, you're dead within a year. You know? yeah, yeah. Like, it's not going to change the outcome. No, and we're not fixing the cause. We're yeah, just, yeah. We're just so, identifying it. You know, anyway, they, they subsequently... Our criticism about not doing the over 60s, they, a panzer went back and, and looked at the over 60s group and they said, oh, we don't see anything there either. North America now has actually done quite an extensive study and, um, they, they are seeing increases as well. Yeah. It makes you, it makes you wonder how bad do things need to get? What proportions do things have to be? Because, uh, you know, we even hear cases where um, the the authorities, health, government authorities aren't listening to doctors' concerns about other things. You know, doctors have got concerns and they're falling on deaf ears and they're choosing not to listen to it. So how bad does the problem need to be before they start saying, oh, okay, whoa, whoa, put the brakes on this, pull back. It's just it worries me as to how bad something has to get and how long it has to go and how many people have to suffer before it's yeah, given yeah, its, I, its, its respect it deserves. Well, there's only really one doctor here in Australia, Dr. Russell Cooper, who's actually studied studied the situation and said, look, you know, we have a problem with this thermal standard. Yeah, we're all protected from heating. That's probably good for people working occupationally. But it's it's not you know there's there's a problem with the standard, and so he's the only doctor who's come out come out and said that. Now they've tried to da- gag him, um, but but been unsuccessful. Um, they the other thing is in our organisation, we we have quite a few doctors uh, who are helping us uh, who don't want to be part of our association. They want to sign up on the bottom line. But they want to assist us because they believe uh, there is a problem here, yeah. um, and uh, it, it's um, it, it's you know the lack of medical input is is frightening in mm. this area. And uh, the the other thing we've just had this five G inquiry. I, I don't know okay. if you. I'm not followed. aware of that. No. Yeah, it's a parliamentary inquiry. A number of submissions, like eighty five percent of the submissions were about people being concerned about this technology. They didn't, they didn't, weren't, they weren't looked at. Uh, this, this uh, inquiry didn't have health on the agenda. It wasn't part of the inquiry's parliamentary inquiry. Health wasn't really? there, but 85% of the submissions were people writing in saying, look, I'm worried about this technology. I want you to investigate it. So, what were they, they were, looking at? Were they looking at the aesthetics of the towers? I mean, well, what... <laughs> it, well it, it was a it was a five G parliamentary love in. I mean, right. twenty four witness groups uh, were were for five G, and six witness groups, including ourselves, were one of the six, uh, were against. Uh, were opponents to this five G, and one witness group was was basically uncertain. They were on the on the lands. Now this. This, uh, we had a parliamentary inquiry into mobile phones back in 2000, and I think it was 2003, uh, before all, all this technology got underway. And the, uh, the Democrats, uh, had the Senate, uh, set up the Senate inquiry. Now, at the end of that inquiry, there were certain recommendations about where the power level should be set and it wasn't at the ignorant limit they they wanted to set a lower power level i can't i uh, can't remember i think it might have been a factor of 50 um places countries around the world take 
the, uh, the this guideline from ICNIRP. They take it, they look at it, and say, "Well, okay, uh, we don't, we don't, we think there's a problem with this. Uh, you know, we're going to set a standard a hundred times lower." And Russia is one of those countries. China is one of those countries. There's there's oh. quite a few countries who haven't taken, who said, "Look, you know, we can see these biological effects. Uh, we don't really." We don't have enough evidence yet. I'm going back um, to around 2000. Uh, we don't have enough evidence yet, but we, we, we're going to apply a precautionary factor, and that factor is going to be a factor of 100. Some countries have taken these guidelines and said, look, no, no, we're not going to make them our standard. Uh, in Australia, we've made them our standard. Um, we haven't put any precautionary factors in there. You know, it's not necessary. Anyway, so this 5G parliamentary inquiry, as its terms of reference, and we kept getting pointed out to that fact that health wasn't on the agenda. But, hey, hang on, wait a minute. Uh, 85% of all the, all the submissions were on health. health concerns. What sort of inquiry is this? Mm. You know, this is, oh, but we've got the answer. We've flip. got the ICNERP yep. standard or the APANSA standard. We've got the answer. We, it's we not a problem. Here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we've got the answer. We don't need, we don't need to look at this. Yeah. And, and the other thing too is that these standards, and I, I didn't really touch on that, but these frequencies now are now getting, they're now starting to use what we call millimeter waves. Yeah, which now, I was going to ask you on the difference, but working yeah, yeah. our way up the spectrum from 3, yeah. 4 to 5G and then Wi-Fi and 2.4 gigs. So, because I, yeah. I wanted to go into a few nuts and bolts on the tech side. So, so yeah, I- explain the difference now that we've gone into 5G and the millimeter waves that never existed before. Yeah. Um, well, most of mobile phones, um, they use frequencies uh, between 900 to 1800 megahertz. Now, the wavelength or the so the cycle is 17 to 33 centimetres. Now, that means, if you think about it, that, that can be a head or an arm. So when you stick out your arm, you're actually an, you're an antenna, right, yep. for these frequencies. Um, your head is an antenna for these frequencies. Now, the thing about the power transfer from the wave to uh, to the object is related to the size of the object. Now, if the if the um, object is half the wavelength, you actually get maximum power transfer, uh, maximum energy deposited in the object. So, when you're going to these millimeter waves, uh, you're you're now going to you're now looking at objects that are the same size as something millimetres. And, of course, that's insects, that's bees. Uh, you now, you now, the these millimetre waves, the energy that gets transferred into the object is is going to affect the insect populations. And there's quite a, a few papers on that. So uh, we haven't really, we don't really know what the environmental effect is going to be. And as I said, there's the alarm bells ringing. I've just noticed uh, a panzer now uh, said that they're going to look at the um, data, look at the papers in this area and and see whether the 
the insects are going to be affected by by these millimetre waves. They've just released a new paper in December saying they're going to look at that, and they've set out the criteria for looking at that, which which is good. It's 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 a real concern. Is- so we've we've identified risks: brain tumours, other cancers, cardiovascular disease, diabetes, neurodegeneration, mental illness, pregnancy complications, immune disorders, infertility, sterility. You know, there's there's lots of studies saying, hey, don't put your mobile phone in your pocket mm. next to your boys. It's not a yeah. good idea. Uh, chronic illness, uh, nu- nuisance effects, sleep disorders. We've identified all these risks. So having identified all those risks, how do we modify the standard to take into account, you know, what what level are we going to set? Are we going to keep to the heating standard, the cooking standard? Are we going to do that? Or are we going to take a precautionary approach and go to a much lower standard uh, in trying to protect our citizens? From a technology point of view, um, if you're given an open platform and an endless budget, is there any way to make this equipment safe? Is there a way that you can well, operate it on a different frequency spectrum? Yeah, yeah, that's a very interesting question you, you, you've, you've raised there. Because there's a guy, in um, a researcher in, um, there's two researchers actually been publishing now for quite some time in, in um, Denmark. And They've been looking at the frequencies that are being used. Are there? Uh, it, there's a very small number of papers that actually show that there's a possible therapeutic effect of radiation, of this sort of radiation. Uh, you know, there's a lot more papers on detriment, but there's a few papers, now, and they've been looking at the various frequencies that are being used, and they've they've discovered that there are frequency bands which are beneficial and frequency bands, which are detrimental. And this actually comes back. They've, they've done a lot of work on this over a number of years. And, um, and they, uh, it comes, it comes back to uh, what, what is called resonance. And, um, and uh, we've, uh, there's also a, an Australian researcher actually in, uh, in, uh, in in America, who who's looked at the effects on the microbiome? In other words, we on our skin we've got lots of microbes, uh, friendly microbes that are there uh, that work in harmony with our biology. And and uh, he, he's pointing out how this can be disruptive, and and the the resonance effect. That is, I don't know if you, you know, when somebody's got a you know, you you get a glass and they put it on the table and and they get the, the fiddle and they strike a note, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the glass breaks. Well, that's re- what's called resonance, and and that happens also with this uh, uh, with the various frequencies. Is that they, uh, depending on the length of the protein chain, be it DNA or or, or that the, the, you get these resonance effects which break the chain. And uh, so, but the, so it's important. You can actually select frequencies which actually don't that don't have a detrimental effect. Now so they've been studying possible. this. Yeah, it's interesting you mention that because um, a lot of people uh, don't mention. Now they've been they've been doing this work now for a, a number of years, and um, and industry have, uh, have basically um, 
just ignoring them. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's very important work, mm. and uh, we we should be looking at this. Oh, absolutely! I mean, the te- the the convenience of the technology it's not going to go away. So oh, we have to look at at either modifying the the range that it operates on, or, or modifying the equipment. Um, we've, we've got to look at doing other things that we can live in harmony with it, mm. rather than wage a war between it. Yeah, exactly. And the the other thing too is that the um, what lower frequent we because we're an animal that that's evolved on this planet we're actually attuned to the lower frequencies uh which uh, our brains work on 8 to 12 hertz these are very low frequencies yeah. uh so we're we're very attuned to low frequencies so a lot of the a lot of the uh signals that are being produced by the by mobile phones and you know we're now moving to this 5g a lot of the frequencies are low frequencies they're embedded they're they're pul- it's pulsing so the these um it's it's sending a bit packet of data and then it's backing off sending another packet of data we've got this low frequency pulsing you know so how can we make it it, it might be a, a lot of the biological effects that we're seeing might actually be a result of this low frequency pulsing yes, and it, yep. you know can we can we be smarter yeah. and select the pulsing that doesn't have a biological effect yeah absolutely you know? yeah you know can, but yeah you know, are we looking at this well <laughs> the 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 other thing i wanted to quiz you on is a couple of other more i suppose tech side things is um 2.4 gig so bluetooth devices um yeah. we jump in the car instantly the radio wants to connect uh, to your phone, 2.4 gig, and bang, you're sitting in a steel capsule with 2.4 gig bouncing around for the journey. Yeah. Um, you go to the gym and you get out your wireless earbuds and you jam them in your ear and you've got 2.4 gig sitting implanted half an inch inside your head. Yeah. In your professional opinion based on the the, the impacts of the waves, um, do you see that 2.4 is as dangerous as any of those technologies? Yeah, I think you know we we're getting a situation. And I, I had a friend who had um, uh, hearing aids, which are Wi-Fi connected now, so oh, you can okay. sort of yeah, you to know, the phone, and they can adjust yeah, yeah. them and equalize them. Yep. Yeah, and I had a look at the uh, power density associated with those, um, and they that was actually like a thousand times lower than the current standard. So, oh, right. um, okay. you know, which is actually uh, quite um, surprising positive. Yeah, it's um, you know, it's 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 it, it's definitely a much lower that's lower level. Okay. I don't know yeah. about the earbuds. I haven't really, yeah. I haven't really measured them. I, I don't don't really know. Um, yeah. So when you when you're on a, on a base level, if you're measuring EMF fields, mm. uh, I'm assuming you've got some sort of a an EMF meter that gives you an output based on its what's in its environment. Yep. What, what is, is that, you know, uh, I suppose, what is it called in terms of you've got volts, you've got amps, you know, Mm. what is the EMF reading called? Well, there's a, there's a, um, there's a group in, uh, a group in Europe who actually have another standard, you know, I was telling you about the ICNURB standard. Yeah. They actually have another standard and um, they, they, uh, that, the, this this instrument is actually to that standard. Oh, safe and secure Pro um, 2, okay. Yeah, the, the one I'm showing you now, it's actually, um, it, it's, it's saying it's high. 
this environment. Right. So uh, just sitting there, it's giving yeah, you an yeah. indication that there's a high level of of EMF. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. what what is that number that deems high? Like, what's is it thirty four? Well, what twenty six? Yeah. yeah. What is the? But I suppose well, we again, can't agree on that, can we? That's part yeah, of the problem. No one can yeah, agree on what's that, high, what's low. Well, that's what. Yeah. This is um, this is where we really need to get around a table. Yeah. With people who like people who have opinions like myself and um, others who, who are saying, look, you can't ignore all these bio-effects. Yeah. Um, and we, we need doctors as well. We need medical people to get around a table, not just physicists, engineers, and decide on where we're going to set the standard. Yes. You know? yeah, yeah. And that that's not happening. That, yeah. That, that you know, base I mean, level. Uh, we can't agree yeah. on a set of facts at the start. How are we going to agree on anything after it? Yeah, and now we've got the situation where the whole environment is saturated with it. Yes, uh, and, and it's, accountability. It's so easy to throw a comment out if it, if you have no accountability, and that's the problem with so many departments and and people in government and high places of power is that, you know, the little small business guy makes a mistake. It rests on him, and yeah. his livelihood depends on it. So he's got to be careful what he says he can and can't do Yeah, because there's accountability. Yeah, and and that's I guess what you've got to look at when you hear a comment is what's the level of accountability that that comment is backed up by? Yeah, exactly. Well, I think we can agree that that um, it, it's not a good idea to hold the mobile phone up to your head. Yeah. Uh, I, I, that is that's got to be a no-no. Don't put a mobile phone in your pocket near your boys. Okay, that's the no-no. Um, yep. So even you know, resting, uh, there's still a high level of EMF in a resting yep. procedure. Yeah, you know, obviously up against your head, it's going to be far more. But even yeah. resting, it's still a high enough to be a concern. Yeah. What What about the devices that you see? I mean, and look, I've I've got one because I lean on the side of caution and and hopefulness. Mm-hmm. Um, the the case that you can buy that has the mesh shielding inside it, and they claim fifty percent reduction in EMF outwards. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. We 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 don't sort of um. Being part of also, we don't endorse products. Yeah. The other, the other interesting device is the metal, like a mesh type shield bag that you put over your modem, and it's supposed to soften the um, the output of the Wi-Fi. Um, obviously, there's no way to yeah. to test that because you don't. Most people don't feel a direct. You know, take the bag off, put the bag on. But what I do notice, I've tried that bag myself, um, is that as soon as I put that bag on, my Wi-Fi um, reception halves. Yeah. So whether or not it's it's helping or it's just making it harder for it to do its job, but there is an impact in having that bag sitting over the top of the modem. I mean, look, my theory is that I wanted a case for the phone anyway, and if I can get one that hopefully does reduce it, then you're one step ahead. Yeah, that's that's all you can sort of take from it. Yeah, I think the important thing is to keep these devices at distance, and the the other thing too is that. a, a French researcher has tried to look at uh, biomarkers. Uh, you know, what mm-hmm. markers uh, in these people are electrohypersensitive? Do they have specific biomarkers yeah. that we don't find in people who are not? So he's been doing that sort of work, and uh, the um, and Dr. Cooper down in Hobart has also been doing that sort of work as well. Mm-hmm. So the conclusion is that. Um, there does appear to be specific biomarkers which which are um, 
that these people have that are, that normal people don't have. People aren't sensitive, don't have the the thing that really concerns me is that they've decided to put Wi-Fi in nappies. Oh, so, yeah, I mean, <laughs> that might be all right for boy, little boys. Oh. Uh, you know, their sperm isn't there yet. But, but do we need but, it? But girl, girls, all oh, the eggs are on board. I mean, Wi-Fi and yeah, nappies, yeah, just... do we need it? Yeah, exactly. And, and so where's, the, where's, the, where's, where's our authority, like a panther, coming out and saying, hey, that's not a good idea having yeah. Wi-Fi and nappies. You know, we don't, we, we think that's a bad, you know, we should ban that just like yeah. we, we, we ban UV solariums in Australia. Exactly. Yep. You yep. know, they were talking about putting Wi-Fi chips in, in the skin, you know, mm. under your, under your hand, we put a chip uh, in there. And there'll be people that will line up for that. There'll be yeah, people yeah. that'll see that as a measure of convenience. Then they'll yep. be lining up. Yeah, and they and they so be able to why why wave their hand against the car door and the door would miraculously open, open. And then you turn up somewhere and your license is on it and everything yeah. is in the yeah yep. yeah in the chip yeah yep. yeah when they get when they get a cancer as a result of having that chip in their skin we shouldn't no one's that. accountable yeah, yeah. A- again no one's accountable, accountable. It, it, it's, yeah and who did they interview who did they interview to put the chips in the body a tattooist. <laughs> Yeah, sure. I'm I'm happy to put the chip in the body. Yeah, that's another thing I can put on the window at the front. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like I thought to myself, mate, in the mid fifties, um, they had a machine where you stood on the mach- X-ray machine in the, in the shoe shop, and uh, you could see your foot inside the shoe to see if it was fitting right. This other group, I told you. Um, the, the ionizing radiation group, International Commission on Radiological Protection, they came out strongly and banned those machines because you're irradiating your gonads. You know, <laughs> it's not a good it's not a good idea. To, it might might be a good might be a party trick, but it's nice not a gimmick, good idea. But yeah, yeah, unnecessary. Yeah, unnecessary. Yeah. And that brings back the 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 axioms that the International Commission on Radioactive Protection use, justification. Yeah. Do you need to do it? Is there a benefit? What's the detriment? Justification. Optimization. Does it need to be at that level? Can we make it a thousand times lower or ten thousand times lower? And it will still operate yes. at that level. Yeah. Optimization. Yeah. And yeah, so and then the last one is precaution as low as reasonably achievable. So we have three axioms in radiation protection, justification, optimization, and precaution. Those three axioms are not being applied in this non-ionizing radiation space, this wireless space. Those axioms don't exist. Which is madness, and it just makes no sense. Yeah, and, and from a radiation protection scientist's point of view, that that is that is so important to you know the just we've gone past the justification it's out there nothing you can do about it yeah it's, yeah you can do anything you want it's not mm. going to hurt you mm. because we've got a we've got a uh, we've got a power density level uh, based on heating that's basically set in the stratosphere it's you know you're never going to exceed it ah yeah. but hang on wait a minute we're now seeing 
that, hey, it's getting up. It's 10% of that limit now. Members of the public are getting exposed to 10% of that limit now. It's actually getting up. It's creeping up to that limit. So what? what's the solution? Uh, oh, we can, you know, it's going to be a problem in countries like Russia and, and blah, blah, blah. You know, what, yeah. what's, the, what's the solution to the problem? Oh, oh well, it's all right. We'll, we'll go back. Uh, the SICNERP group released their new standard in 2020. 2020 they relaxed it by a factor of four. So we just lift, we just, we just, just lift the limit the ceiling up. up. <laughs> <laughs> That's the solution. Oh. You know, oh, you know, we, we, and this is a, and mobile phone towers that are put out. Uh, that's all self-regulated. Wow. There's the code of practice on that is self-regulated. There's, there's no regulate, there's no, there's no, uh, regulatory, uh, agency drafting a code of practice. You know, when we got into my uranium mining in 1975, the Whitlam government, um, we wrote, codes of practice the australian radiation labs wrote codes of practice but we weren't connected to industry in any way we wow. we we wrote them on, on the basis of protecting people um so it was a we regulated that industry back then this is a self-regulated industry with a standard that's set in the stratosphere you know that message never gets out that message is is buried so if people want to find out more about your organization and about the work you're doing, where do, where do they head? www.orsaaorsa.org. Okay, perfect. I'll yeah. make sure there's links on, on this uh, episode's page as well. That we, can, we can put a whole bunch of stuff up there. Anything you want to yeah. share, we'll, we'll fill it up well, with a bunch of links to more research and places they can go and dig their, yeah. dig their own. Have up. a look at the um, download, um, uh, the um, uh, Russian, Russian, uh, Russian translated book. Yeah, uh, will, it's on our it's on our uh, on our research papers here on part two. Okay, you can download it and have a look at it. Yep, and uh, it, it's sort of very interesting. This this man uh, was uh, as soon as I started, and he spoke he spoke English as well as he, Russian. He, he was um, as soon as I started communicating with him, I realised um, we were actually in terms of a radiation protection philosophy. We were actually on the same page. Uh, he was, he, he grew up with, uh, the radiation protection philosophy by ICRP. Uh, and, uh, that, you know, we, we were talking the same language. Right. Whereas, um, when a, the, this group in Germany, ICNURB, uh, you know, they're talking a very foreign language. I, uh, in terms of radiation protection philosophy, I just, I don't understand it. It just yeah, okay. uh, is nonsense. And, and uh, we've got a video, a 5G video there where we sort of interviewed. Uh, it's a short video. It's only about 10 minutes long on our website. Um, and uh, it's an opinion, uh, opinion piece. And there's quite a few uh, people talking about 5G. There's an oncologist there, uh, Dr. Hardell in Sweden. He uh, He was... He came out to Australia actually and, and spoke at the Agent Orange and oh, gave, wow. gave information, gave uh, data on that. Okay. Uh, you know, the yeah. uh, soldiers who got sprayed with that chemical and uh, he gave evidence 
a very knowledgeable man, and uh, he, he's one of the people on that video. Okay. Uh, yeah. Very well respected in this area. He was the one who, uh, in the 2000-2004 Interphone study, he was the one who said, hey, you've got to look at the heavy user group. Yes. You've got to look at yeah. them separately. You can't. Uh, you can't have somebody using a mobile phone for once a once a That's once a week mixed in yeah, mixed course. in with this with this guy who's using a mobile yeah. phone for more than thirty minutes a day up to his head. You can't mix no, you can't mix that not. in. Yeah. You've got to yeah. you've got to uh, you've got to tease that out. So he actually got the data and teased out the heavy user group stuff, and he said, "Hey, there's, there's a problem here. At. This is risky technology, and risky technology should." Come with consumer advice. Is is, uh, is there a a risk with what do you want to call them? The pads that they have on the towers going yeah. rogue and just broadcasting at you know thousands of times power that it's meant to be doing. Like, is that a a thing that can happen with this equipment? It can fail and and just pump out masses of of signal that it shouldn't be. Yeah, that's um very interesting. There's been quite a few people like. Um, the chap you mentioned earlier in the UK, the weapons expert, uh, Bernie yeah. Tainer, you know, he's saying, oh, you know, because these are now targeted beams, you know, they, they, they're what they call um, multi-input, multi-output. These, they're actually focused beams now. So as you walk along mm. the street with your mobile phone, they'll be they'll be following you. The, the interesting thing is that... Um, the new mobile phone cases, uh, there's a lot of they, – they think they'll probably have to be ceramic rather than metal because otherwise the signal won't get out. You know, it's, uh, it's going to be attenuated too much. And that's the problem with the millimetre waves. They're attenuated more in air, so you need, you need more antennas. So you're going to have to have an antenna on every third street pole, you know. And uh, there's a – and they did a – uh, one of the things I think is going to be the next offering is going to be, look, um, we, we can have this device on the window, which will, will take the, uh, the signal and then broadcast it throughout your house. Uh-huh, like a little repeater station. Yeah, like a repeater station because it, it's targeted, it's a targeted beam. Right. And it's it be, because it's high frequency it gets attenuated. So we need we need a way of, of relaying that information inside the house. And uh, I noticed Verizon in the US, they've got like antennas on the top of the roof. So so the these um street pole uh antennas transmit to the one on the top of your roof and then broadcast it throughout your house. Well that's been fascinating insight. I've enjoyed all your your information, thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank you very much for donating your time to come on and tell the story and provide the information and explain the risks that people aren't being otherwise elsewhere told. Yeah, thank thank you, Francis. It's been a pleasure doing this and uh, organisations like yourself who uh, are prepared to um, listen to an alternative view is very comforting. No, look, I'm glad I'm able to provide that platform and and just be here as a, an independent source of information for people that want to scratch away at the surface. I mean, that's what it's all about. It's just doing your own research and finding it balanced and fair and wherever you can. Um, Thank you, Francis. All now, the best. 
Thanks very much for sticking through to the end. That was a big episode, a lot of information to digest. But if you are interested in finding out more, you can do a couple of things. One is you can head over to bumpingintocomau um, Search for the page that relates to this episode and there will be a whole bunch of links. I'm going to put some YouTube videos that have some good explanations on how it works and some of the standards. Um, There's also going to be a bunch of links that Victor has given me about a few reports that we can put there. There'll be a link to his uh, organization as well. So there's going to be a lot more places that you can go deeper with if you you are interested in doing so. The other thing I'm going to ask is that if you enjoyed the episode, if you can give it a five-star rating and share. While I don't agree with the theory, the five-star rating is the only one that matters, and it's the only one that helps the page push up through the ranks to be noticed. So if you could do that, more importantly, just share it. If there's someone you think should hear it and would be interested, um, please do share it. Now, as mentioned, I am going to keep uh, pressing and searching for more information on various aspects of this topic, because I do think there's still a lot more to explore there. Particularly, I keep coming back to an interest around the 433 megahertz and Bluetooth, um, only because we don't seem to have um, a divide or as much information about how dangerous those things are, and those are... Um, very widely used. I mean, you know, Bluetooth earpods, Bluetooth in the car, um, smoke detectors are interlinking um, with 433 megahertz. Um, so they're, you know, they're filling up your home as well. So I do think that that's something else that we can explore as well. And as mentioned prior is the health side of things. Is there anything we can do to protect cellular damage? Um, you know, just to give give us a, a bit of a heads up on on combating this bombardment of uh, EMF noise that we're exposed to 24/7. So there are a couple of more things I am going to keep pushing for and pushing into. So keep an eye out. Uh, if you like the content, subscribe to the page. Um, every episode is different, so look, they're not all going to be relevant to your um, interests. But if you want to keep uh, a, you know, an eye on new information as it comes out, that's the best way to do it is just subscribe to the podcast page on your platform. Once again, thank you very much. Thank you for all the interest that the, the prior episode and hopefully this episode has, has brought in worldwide. I appreciate all the streams. I appreciate being broadcast into your headphones, into your cars, into wherever you play this podcast. There is an extreme appreciation that you did take the time to listen. It doesn't go... Um, unnoticed at all so thank you very much for that Um, once again you can find out more information you can find out past episodes on other things wide-ranging conversations on a whole bunch of other topics uh, at bumpinginto.com.au don't forget the .au if you are an international listener Um, that's because the the, uh, podcast is is based in Australia so um, that will get you to the Australian website And one thing before we do go is I'm going to leave you with a clip from a movie uh, that Victor actually sent me that I think sums up the industry perfectly. So be straight with me. Is it true? It could be. No, well, come very, on. Uh, you know, very no few cases. Proof there was all. an unfortunate really incident out in situation. Iowa. Look, gentlemen, practice these words in front of the mirror. Although we are constantly exploring the subject, currently... There is no direct evidence that links cell phone usage to brain cancer.